0: And so, Lord God, you are holy, that means you're pretty different than us most of the time. So we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to help us to trust your holy nature, yourself, your judgment, your will, your word. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Microphone seems really loud to me. Does it seem super loud to... I also have this one that Robbie gave me. Where's Robbie? Yeah, this is so cool. This is so Robbie can hear. I love you, Robbie. (laughs) You you look handsome today. (laughs) Hey, hey, this is our 12th message from the book of Ecclesiastes. 13th, if you count Christmas Eve... Last time we read about a poor wise man who saved a city under siege. We realize that we are a city under siege, locked down in fear, terrified of death. We are Jerusalem, and Jesus is wisdom. He saves us in a way that seems so non-strategic and entirely unsafe. In a city under siege... Bread is life, and fear tells you to hang on to the bread at all costs. But wisdom says, cast your bread upon the waters. Jesus is the bread of life, who casts himself on the waters. On a tree, in a garden, he loses his life and finds it. The life is in the blood, and the spirit, the breath, is life. The life flows from the throne like blood from a heart. It circulates through the entire body and then returns to the throne as praise. Ecclesiastes 11.1. This is where we left off last time. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind, the ruach, the spirit, the wind, will not sow. And he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit, the ruach, comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who does everything. As you do not know. That, That means we do not know whether or not life begins at conception. But we do know that it begins before birth. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones and the womb of a woman with child so you do not know the work of God who does everything in the morning sow your seed and at evening withhold not your hand for you do not know which will prosper this or that whether both alike will will be good light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun so if a person lives many years let him rejoice in them all rejoice in them all but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many all that comes is vanity. All that comes is habble, vanity, breath. All that comes is all subject to time, right? I mean my past came and went. My future will come. But what about this present moment? Theologians and philosophers point out that the present moment, the now is the point at which eternity touches time. All that comes is all that is subject to to time. Physicists say that that light is not subject to time, but, but time is subject to light. In other words, light is eternal. Time is relative to it. Well, I just think that's interesting. Number seven, verse seven. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Hebel, rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things God will bring you into, literally, the judgment. He didn't say the judgment will come, but God will bring you into the judgment. Maybe the judgment is, is eternal, and all things are relative to the judgment. Verse 9, But know that for all these things God will bring you into the judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Habel. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened, and the clouds return after the rain. In the days when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease before they are few, and those who look through the the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut, when the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails because man, Adam, the Adam, is going to his eternal home. He didn't say some of Adam is going to one very nice eternal home, and some of Adam is going to a very not nice e- eternal home the Adam is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit, the ruach, returns to God who gave it. You know, God does not endlessly torture his own spirit, his own breath. And if you don't have his breath, that means that you are only dust. So the Bible leaves no room for a doctrine of endless conscious torment. The dust returns to the earth as it was, and the ruach returns to God who gave it. Hebel of Hebelim, says the preacher. All is Hebel. Hopefully you remember that God breathed His breath into dust and Adam became a living soul. Uh, God breathed into Adam and Adam, that is mankind, held His breath, uh, just like a terrified person holds their breath, just like a city under siege hangs on desperately to its bread, just like all men strive after the wind the ruach to to control it to own it the adam holds the breath until the eschatos adam christ surrenders the breath his spirit on the tree in the garden that we all call the cross into your hands i surrender i commit my spirit as we said, Christ cast his bread on the waters and saved the city. He lost his life and found it. As John saw in Revelation chapter 5, the life flows from the throne through all creation and returns back to the throne as praise. Well, Ecclesiastes 11:1 through 12:8, along with all of scripture, paints this incredible picture that I just long for you to see and 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 if you ask okay great great but what does it mean to me, Well, I think Solomon has been telling us. He's been telling us, and yet for some reason, we struggle to believe. Look at what he said. Okay, 11 verse 1. Cast your bread upon the waters. Verse 2. Give a portion to 7 or to 8. Verse 3 through 5. Sow your seed and do not withhold your hand. 7 verse 7. Enjoy the light. Enjoy it. Rejoice in it in all your time. Don't save your life. Lose it. Expire so you can be inspired. Throw caution to the wind. Verse 9, rejoice. Verse 9, that's a command. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. Next line, but know that for all these things... God will bring you into the judgment. Wow. Talk about doublespeak. It's like your mother saying, have a wonderful time at the party, dear, but remember I've installed cameras in every room and I will be watching every move and I will judge you when you get home. Now, enjoy the party. It's like the church saying, good news, Christ has set you free. But remember the judgment. It will come. Enjoy the party. Good news, his mercies will never come to an end. But remember, judgment will come. And well, actually, they will come to to an end. Enjoy the party. Good news, God is love, and love does not fail. But remember, God is also just, and that means judgment will come, and, and, well, actually, yes, love will fail. Enjoy the party. Enjoy the party. Good news, you're forgiven. Enjoy the party by forgiving your neighbor, loving your enemies, having mercy on all, because judgment will come, and God will not have mercy on all, and he will not forgive his enemies. He, He will not love his enemies, nor forgive them, but torture them forever without end. Good news! The Lamb of God has taken away the sin of the world, except, of course, He hasn't. For judgment will come, and He will endlessly torture people for their sins. Preach this good news, or He will endlessly torture you. Good news. I mean, that really doesn't sound like good news uh, to me. It sounds more like The Elf on the Shelf. Have you seen this, The Elf on the Shelf? I guess in the last 12 years, these things are like all over the place. The way it works is this. You set the Elf on the Shelf in a place where the kid, your kids can see it, but they can't touch it. And then you read the book, which explains that the Elf is watching you. And returning every night to the North Pole reporting to Santa Claus on your behavior so that he can judge you and reward you or condemn you appropriately depending on what you, what, you, what you have done. Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. Be good and get presents. Ho, ho, ho. That's what God kept saying to Israel. Ho, ho, ho. You don't love me. You only love my presence. You're playing the ho, ho, ho. God is watching us. I need Kathleen to to sing this. but God is watching us. And then it goes, God is watching us from a distance. Is Jesus the elf on the shelf? And and how does that make you feel? Is this what leads to repentance? Anxiety. Are we saved from God's judgment by anxiety? The Pharisees seemed to think so. They thought fear and the knowledge of good and evil would save them. They thought flesh and an abundance of laws were salvation. So they were extremely careful to do them all. In fact, they made thousands more just out of caution. I think that's why they secretly hated Jesus. And ultimately, they didn't secretly hate Jesus. But I think that's why they secretly hated Jesus and his father because, you see, they seem so non-cautious. Have you ever thought about that? Scripture says, don't be drunk with wine. Then Jesus turns water into wine at a wedding party where people are already a bit drunk. He goes on to turn it into a sacrament. That's not safe! You should have used grape juice like a Presbyterian. Jesus says, don't look on a woman with lust. And yet God made women naked and commanded, be fruitful and multiply. What a setup. That's not safe. So good Christians outlaw wine and kisses and even communion. God said, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do not eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. But he says it to two naked people in the garden with an evil talking snake and an obvious inability to discern whether or not the word of God was good or evil. That is so profoundly not safe. Doesn't God want us to be safe? Is he trying to get us killed? Doesn't God want us to save ourselves from his judgment with anxiety? Doesn't God want us to make ourselves in his own image with neurosis and repression? The Pharisees thought he did. The church seems to think that uh, he does. Pharisees thought he did, and the church seems to think that, that, he, that he does. So, so she gives us more laws and principles and strategies, which she refers to as, as wisdom. She gives us more knowledge of good and evil with which we can justify ourselves. You know, like build a protective bubble around ourselves, keeping us safe from evil, and therefore keeping us safe from the judgment of God. Kind of like... Kind of like this.
1: My first memories are kind of hazy. All I remember is a place with white walls, bright lights, and a gigantic bird. I was there because I was born with no immunities. A single germ could kill me. But when I was four, my mom took me home. To beautiful Palmdale, California. Mom helped me make friends right away. Our house was enormous like a castle And for the first time I felt completely free There Now you're safe From that evil, filthy world I had a big room with my own bed Lots of toys and two pairs of retractable arms. And the prince climbed to the top of the tower and said, Come with me, and we'll live happily ever after. Then Rapunzel left her plastic bubble and died. The end. Those evil doctors. Nobody's gonna get any germs on my little boy now. You'll always stay pure. Won't you, Jimmy?
0: My favorite TV show, Land of the Lost.
1: I wish TV's had more than one channel, Mom. So oh, son, do I, dear. Jimmy! Lunchy! I grew up like any other kid. At 16, I didn't get a car, but I did get an electrical rock music guitar! I can't believe the I was so happy i had everything a boy could ever want until chloe and then pinocchio came out of his plastic bubble touched the filthy little whore next door and died the end something tells me she's not the kind of friend jesus would pick jimmy
0: So Jimmy lives in a bubble constructed by fear, but the fear is a lie. He actually does have immunity from evil in the air that's all around him, antibiotics or antibodies circulating in his blood, something in the blood. It it turns out, you see, that his mother is lying to Jimmy in order to maintain control of Jimmy. Do you know that the devil is lying to you to maintain control of you? And sometimes he even uses Mother Church to do it. So maybe you're not safe inside the bubble, but already trapped in the land of the lost, safe as hell. You know, when I was born into this world, I looked an awful lot like Jimmy. Then I believed a lie and tried to justify me with my judgments. I took knowledge of good and evil in fear, and so I built a bubble, and it looks something like this. I think my bubble protects the naked, insecure, and lonely me from judgment. I think my bubble saves my life. I found this story in my files. The man, the Adam, saw people love each other and he saw that love made strenuous demands on the lovers. He saw that love required sacrifice and self-denial. He saw that love produced arguments, jealousy and sorrow. He decided that love cost too much. He decided not to diminish his life with love. He saw people run for distant and hazy goals. He saw strong and committed men fail. He saw weak and undeserving men succeed. He saw that striving was often pettiness and greed. He decided to not even try. He decided not to mar his life with hope and and failure. He saw people serving others. He saw men give money to the poor and the helpless. He saw that the more they served, the faster the need grew. He saw ungrateful receivers turn on their serving friends. He decided not to soil his life with with serving. When, When he died, he walked up to God and presented his life to him, undiminished, unmarred, unspoiled. The man was clean and untouched by the filth of this world. And he presented himself to God proudly, saying, Here is my life. And God said, Life? What life? You can't lose your life if, if you don't have one. And unless you lose your life for the sake of Christ and his kingdom, you'll never find it. Whatever the case, whatever the case, Solomon says, rejoice, rejoice, but remember that for all these things God will bring you into the judgment. Does he mean to say anxiety will save you from the judgment? Next verse remove anxiety. ESV translates it vexation. NIV, N-R-S-V, translated anxiety. New century, worry. King James, provocation. Grief, anger, sorrow means all those things. Remove it from your heart. Remove anxiety from your heart. So what a bizarre line of reasoning, right? Number one, rejoice and live your life with a radical sense of abandon. Number two, but remember, God will bring you into the judgment. And number three, Don't worry. What could possibly produce more worry, anxiety, vexation, repression, and misery than to live with the constant knowledge that one day God will judge every action, thought, and motive and reward some people with an unthinkable ecstasy in an unfading and eternal home while punishing other people in an endless and eternal hell? What could possibly create more vexation of the heart than that? The judgment. Or maybe we don't understand the judgment. Like barely even begin to know it at all. Maybe we don't know God's judgment Because we believed a lie, even told by our mother because she believed a lie told to her by a snake. A lie about the tree in the middle of the garden. A lie about wisdom, who he is and what he wants. A lie about the will, the word, and the judgment of God. A lie that God's judgment is not good. And therefore cannot be trusted. Look again, verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But... Now that conjunction in Hebrew is more normally translated and, or that is. So the, the but expresses the confusion of the translator solomon literally writes rejoice and no uh, or rejoice that is no god will judge no Remember, there are two ways of knowing, we discovered. Solomon took wisdom, like knowledge of good and evil, plucked, you know, some, from, from some incredible tree. And then he wrote this. In much wisdom is much chaos, anxiety, vexation. He took wisdom and everything died, and yet he received wisdom. And do you remember what he called it? A tree of life. Proverbs 3. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, and know that for all these things God will bring you into the judgment. Remove vexation, anxiety, from your heart. Uh, Chapter 7, Solomon told us how he removed vexation or anxiety, or sometimes translated sorrow, from his heart. He wrote, "Chaos is better than laughter. Uh, Sorrow, vexation, chaos is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. He described how he would go to the house of mourning, remember? and it would turn into the house of mirth. He would go to the temple and sit before the altar on which the priests would twice daily sacrifice a lamb. On the day of atonement, the blood was sprinkled behind the veil on the Ark of the Covenant, which was the throne of God, which was also the judgment seat of God, which means it is the very throne of wisdom. Love this picture from, it's like from the 1400s or something. See the lamb on the ark, which is the throne, which is the judgment seat? Solomon would go to the temple and, in some form, see the very thing the Apostle John sees in the Revelation a lamb standing on the throne of God as if it had been slain, while all creation sings the glory of God. Solomon would go to the sanctuary and see the judgment of God. You understand? Solomon is not saying that anxiety will save you from the judgment of God He's saying that the judgment of God will save you from anxiety So what is the judgment of God? Solomon's really clear in the Hebrew. He says the judgment singular ha mishpat The judgment that must be one eternal judgment seem from various perspectives throughout all of space and time so judgment in the garden judgment on sodom judgment in the temple the judgment of the sheep and the goats the judgment from the great white throne they must all be a manifestation of god's eternal judgment the judgment as it intersects time john 3:19 jesus says this is the judgment the light Has come into the world John 8 he says I am the light of the world John 12 he says now is the judgment of this world light is eternal and now is that point where eternity touches time now is the judgment of this world and when I am lifted up said Jesus speaking of his cross I will draw all people to myself. Jesus is the Word of God, the will of God, the wisdom of God, and the light that is God. Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the judgment in flesh. When we teach people to run from the judgment, we teach them to run from Jesus. We speak the lie of the snake and create the land of the lost. Like Jesus said to the Pharisees, you travel land and sea to make a single convert. And when you do, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. I can't tell you the number of times that pastors of all people have told me, you can't, you can't teach that God in Christ Jesus makes all things new, Revelation 21. You can't teach that, because Hebrews 9, 27 says, it is appointed once for man to die, and then comes judgment. I just want to grab him and, and scream, that means then comes Jesus, then comes the life, then comes the light that burns away the darkness, then comes judgment. And by the way, he was here all along, we just couldn't see him, for we were hiding in our bubbles, our fig leaves, our fear, and our shame. And it is true that some do not enter into judgment, but only because they've already been judged. And some will enter into judgment, but only because they haven't yet come to terms with Jesus. The judgment is Jesus. Now, you might say, fine, I've been going to the sanctuary a while, sat through the Ecclesiastes thing, heard that, know that, understand that, you've said that, but what does that mean for me? What is God's judgment of me? Well, it's the same as his judgment of, of all, right? Because all die and all go to the same place, said Solomon. In, in chapter 3, 11, Solomon wrote this, God has made everything. Now, you're a thing that God has made, right? God has made everything beautiful in its time. And whatever God makes endures forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God God makes you beautiful in time, and that self that God makes is not temporal, but eternal. Eternal. But you also make a self, and that self is beastly. The vanity of vanities, temporal and fading away. 3.16, Solomon continues, In the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness, I, I said in my heart. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart, with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them in order that God may learn something? No. God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. So, like we said, I have a me that God creates. And this is who I am. And I have a me that I create. And this is who I am not. I have a me constructed with faith, hope, and love, and faith, hope, and love are eternal. And they have a me constructed with pride, shame, and fear, which are temporal illusions and fading away. Likewise, you have a me that you create with your judgments, and you have a me that God has created with his eternal judgment. Right now, you are a mix, and you cannot sort it out. You know, like a field full of wheat and tares or something. You can't sort it out. Solomon says in one, whether it is love or hate, the Adam does not know. In other words, I can't judge. But because I think I have to judge, I'm just totally stressed. I'm anxious. I, I worry. Yet when I come to trust God's judgment, I'm incapable of worry. For I see that there's no me To worry about You know, even when I worry about others I'm really worrying about me I'm worried that me can't save them I I worry about me But when I see God's judgment There's no me to worry about See, this is me I don't have to worry About the me on the left Why? Because he's already been crucified with Christ I don't have to worry about that me, because he's truly not me I don't have to worry about that me, and I can even be grateful for that me because it's in my disobedience that God reveals his mercy It's in my darkness that God reveals His light. It's in my lies that God reveals His truth. It's in my false self that God reveals my true self, which is His self. That self does not want to sin, and and yet I can be grateful that I have sinned, for where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That's the judgment of God and is beautiful. It's Jesus. So I don't have to worry about the me on the left because he's been crucified with Christ, and I don't have to worry about the me on the right because he is Christ, or better yet, filled with Christ, or better yet, maybe even actually the body of Christ no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's the life of Christ in a, in a form that's shaped like the old me. See, this new me is eternal and indestructible. I can't add to him, and I can't take away from him. I can only be grateful for him and live his life, which is my life. You see, God's judgment of me is actually the true me. So if I run from judgment, I run from Jesus and me. If an accuser comes to me and the accuser says, you're self-righteous, you're self-righteous and you're deceived, I'm tempted to worry about that. I'm tempted to worry about me and then begin to accuse me and create more false me. That's the me constructed with self-righteousness and deception. But when I trust God's judgment, I can say to the accuser, I'm a mess. Actually, I can't sort me out. So who knows? Maybe that's right. Maybe it's wrong. I don't know. I can't sort me out. I may be self-righteous in all sorts of ways. Praise God that he will reveal those ways. And I may be truly righteous in all sorts of ways. Praise God that he is those ways. Praise God that there is no me to worry about. Now get behind me, Satan. Can you imagine how the accuser would accuse the Apostle Paul? I think sometimes he even used the Corinthians to do it. Read the book of Corinthians and and you'll see it, one or two. I, I imagine Paul, when that happened, I imagine that Paul just felt tempted to quit. That's when I feel tempted to quit. I feel incapable to judge and yet I feel like I have to judge. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4.2. Paul writes to the Corinthians saying this, It is required of stewards, stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me. Do you see it? Anxiety did not save Paul from the judgment. The judgment saves Paul from anxiety. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation. The word in Greek is everywhere else translated praise. Then each one will receive his praise from God. I mean, how gracious, how kind, how benevolent is that? The judgment of God. Years ago, a prophetic friend of mine wrote to me, and wrote this, Peter, I saw a picture of you With your mouth wide open, almost like you were screaming, which, which I do and, and out of your mouth stuck your tongue But it was very long, and on the end was a very ugly, hideous, grimacing face This did not make any sense to me until I asked what it meant And then the answer came That this is a picture of your greatest fear that what you speak would either be wrong when it comes out Or be twisted and used for evil But Jesus says to you When you are confronted with fear or failing Remember that I am holding you up And you will not fall as long as you look at my face As long as you look at my face That's wild And yet it reminds me of how my kids learn to walk Each one of them, you know, they'd they'd look at me with those beautiful big eyes, they'd see my face and their eyes would light up and, and then they'd stand on those pudgy little wobbly legs and looking at me they'd take a step and I'd say oh good job good job you can do it you can do it and, and then maybe they'd get distracted by the dog or something and, they, and they'd look away and fall and they'd fall down they'd just fall right on the floor and then I would turn to them and I would yell at them you failure do you not have any pride whatsoever you will never walk I I can't be, I, if I had done that, they'd never walk. Actually, I, I didn't do that. But instead, what would I do? They'd fall, and I'd look at them and go, no worries, no worries. Okay, get back up, look at me, look at daddy, look at daddy, come to daddy, look at, c- c- you can do it. And that's how they learned to walk. My face was their judgment And they longed to live before my face See me daddy, see me daddy, see me dance daddy See my picture daddy, look at me daddy, look at me daddy Do you see, do you see me, do you see me daddy? Watch me Anxiety did not save them from my judgment My judgment saved them from anxiety And gave them the courage to walk Ride bikes Ski down mountains Love people that might not Love them back That's how they learn to walk That's also how St. Peter learned to walk On water And feed the sheep And preached the gospel. As long as he looked in the face of Jesus, he walked on water. But as soon as he looked at the wind and the waves and came up with all of his strategies that made him anxious and worried, he sank into the sea. And then when he called out to Jesus and looked back at Jesus once more, do do you remember what Jesus did? Jesus did not condemn him. He saved him. That was his judgment. So anyway, how did... Pick up your cross and come follow Turn into be careful Because God is watching you Be careful Be cautious Be safe You know if you insist on feeling safe You will never get out of the boat You will never walk on water You will never fail And never be saved You'll never pick up a cross And come follow you'll never surrender your spirit you will never lose your life and find it you will never love another person but you will trap yourself in the land of the lost choosing safety may be the most unsafe thing that a person could do and now if that realization suddenly make you made you anxious Oh, crap. Look for the judgment of God. Desire the judgment of God. Trust the judgment of God. So where and when is the judgment of God? Well, we know that it was on a tree in a garden 2,000 years ago, right? And we know that all eyes will see it at the end of time, and yet it's now, and, and I think it's all around us. You know, creation itself is a manifestation of the judgment of God, which is the Word of God, which is the wisdom of love. I think it must be all around us, kind of like in it. We live and move and have our being, and yet we don't see it, believe it, or receive it. Why? Because we're trapped in a bubble. You see, I think um, our true self is trapped inside our false self, and, and we can't truly live until that old self is, is at least surrendered, at least offered, until that old self dies. We can't truly live, which means we can't truly love. No one can love if they're constantly worried about their self. You know that from going to parties where you feel insecure. It's just like impossible to love. No one can love if they're constantly worried about their self. And so God descends into our dark little bubble as a word, which is good news, which is also His judgment. On the cross, Christ delivered up His Spirit. That Spirit descends into our dark little bubble hearts. He's the Prince of Peace who has come to reign from the throne, from the throne in the sanctuary that is your heart. Remove anxiety from the throne in the sanctuary of your heart, says Solomon. And let Christ rule and reign in your heart, writes the Apostle Paul. All you have to do is call on Him, focus on Him. Let me use another word. All you have to do is, is pray. Surrender to Him in the sanctuary of your heart, and what happens? You expose yourself to the judgment of God. And His eternal judgment then becomes your judgment in time, your decision. Your decision to cast your bread on the waters, your decision to give a portion to seven or even to eight, a decision to sow your seed and not withhold your hand, a decision to surrender your spirit, to surrender your life and find it, a decision to no longer hold your breath but to surrender your breath, a decision to love and be loved. Soren Kierkegaard wrote this Decision is the awakening to the eternal. In the end, the arch enemy of decision is cowardice. Cowardice is constantly trying to break off the good agreement of decision with eternity. Now listen closely. Others will come along and they will try to take that decision away from you. And you will be tempted to let them. They will offer you more knowledge of good and evil. They will offer you programs and procedures and strategies. They will say, God says that you're to do this, and God says that you're to do that. Yet yet even prophecy, you know, even Scripture commands this, even prophecy must be tested uh, before the throne in the sanctuary of your own heart, the private sanctuary of your own heart. You see, God has arranged all things such that a good free decision must come from the most intimate surrender to the Prince of Peace enthroned in the depths of your own heart. Love is the fruit of your personal communion with the Prince of Peace. He's jealous for you, and he will settle for no other. Well, it turns out that Chloe, as you suspect, she also loves Jimmy, the bubble boy. But Jimmy is terrified to love Chloe because he believes his mother's lies. Jimmy rejects Chloe, and in sorrow, she agrees to marry another man. But before she she leaves, before she does, she um, gives a present to Jimmy through that portal in the bubble, a snow globe. And the snow globe has two people In the very same bubble. Imagine that. And on the snow globe, there is a judgment, a word of judgment. I love you. And when Jimmy receives that, well, that's when he makes a decision.
1: idea what I was up against. Chloe hadn't told me much. All I knew was that she was in New York, which may as well have been on the other side of the galaxy, and I only had 3 days to get there. 3 days. I just needed the bubble suit to last that long. lawfully wedded wife to honor and cherish in sickness and in health as long as you both shall live oh yeah chloe jimmy chloe i uh... what Jimmy, what are you doing? Jimmy? Jimmy? I'd rather spend one minute holding you than the rest of my life, knowing I never could. So, if you don't mind, uh, make you the bride. I love you. I love you. Jimmy. Me. Forever. Jimmy! Oh, no! hey! oh, Jimmy. Oh, I love you, Jimmy. I've always loved you. He he knew... You killed him!
0: He's not dead. You're not dead, Jimmy. He's lying, Jimmy. Tell him. Tell him everything.
1: You're not dead, Jimmy. I'm not? Oh. Oh. You developed immunities when you were four. I couldn't bear to let the world ruin you with its film. Well, there's so many awful things out there, Jimmy. Yes, there's so many horrible things.
0: The groom, and we are the bride hiding in a bubble of fear. And so, the Prince of Peace descends into our frightened little world. He did descend into our frightened little world, and he took bread and broke it, saying, This is my bubble, this is my body, this is me broken for you. Take and eat and do this. In remembrance of me And he took the cup and he said This cup is the covenant in my blood There are immunities in the blood Judgment is in the blood The grace of God is in the blood It's Jesus' blood And he says remember this Look at this Do this and remember me Enjoy the party In fact just Throw caution to the wind The holy wind The ruach And so in Jesus name Believe the gospel And choose to live Free Dark cup is wine Light cup is juice So pray with me Lord God in the name of Jesus I confess, Peter Hyatt confesses And I also confess on behalf of all of us together And I hope people agree with this confession I confess that I have allowed anxiety To sit on the throne in the sanctuary of my heart And now, Lord God, I thank you that you have sent your judgment My Lord Jesus To sit on the throne in the sanctuary of my heart And Lord God, I thank you that there is nothing stronger than your word, who is Jesus, who has the power to break every chain, who loves me and is all-powerful and reigns over all creation. Father, that's good judgment. Thank you. Amen. Now, I don't know exactly what this uh, sermon means uh, to you, but maybe it means that you will pray for someone who's sick. Even if they might not get well, or at least well in a way that you can see it. Uh, Maybe it means that you would ask someone out for coffee. Even if you might get rejected. Maybe it means for you that you would sell your possessions and give to the poor, even if it might mean that you yourself become poor. Or maybe it means that you will tell the truth, even though you might or probably will get crucified. maybe it means that you will love your enemies. You know, I said I didn't know who the king on your heart told you to vote for. And I mean that. I really mean it. But I do know that the king, in your heart, told us to love our enemies And so I don't know exactly what that means for you but, but maybe you will find a way to lay your life down for Iraqis and Syrians Even if, even if it makes you look un-American Whatever the case, whatever the case You must not allow fear to reign and rule in your heart Perfect love casts out fear and that's our, that's our Lord Jesus. So the benediction is the same as it always is. Believe the gospel and choose to live free. In Jesus' name, amen.